All right, guys, welcome back. We had another pivotal interview slash discussion. I hate the word interview, but this is kind of another super special one for me because the person on the other side of this connection, we have known each other for well over a decade. I'm thinking we're more than a dozen years. More than a dozen years. And actually, if we kind of trace back probably both of our starts into like the nutraceutical supplement industry, probably both of each other's kind of like earliest companions. That's kind of like yeah, buddies. I don't know like, what's the correct terminology there, but like we've been, we kind of grew up in this industry together. And if you guys don't recognize this person is Ben Hartman. He is the founder and CEO of Morphogen Nutrition. And I wore this shirt. I'm sure you realized it before we turned on. Stuff, I was like, dude, that's fucking epic that you wore that shirt. I was like, I wear this. So, <laughs> Ben and I know each other from college, actually, and there's a kind of a ton of things in between then, but I want to kind of give the floor to him. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, we went to college together. Um, I basically got my start at Kent State doing kind of all things fitness and wellness within campus recreation. Um, personal training, fitness consulting, wellness testing, uh, all that kind of stuff. Worked my way up through the ranks. Uh, as many people did when we were there, a lot of influential people that went on, you know, to do these great things and basically realized that the schooling that I was in was potentially not going to be the direction that I was going to go. So academically, I was pre-physical therapy. So, it, you know, the exercise physiology program kind of taking all these pre-physical therapy, uh, you know, prerequisites heavy on the biologies and the chemistries and the biomechanics and all these things. Uh, but what I really had a knack for was uh, management of programs and services, uh, and also kind of mentoring people. You know, I managed some student staff, would later go on after Kent State to do the exact same job, but professionally at the University of Akron, you know, 20 minutes up the road. Uh, and while I was at Akron, since I was full-time there managing all their fitness and wellness programs, I went ahead and got my master's degree there since it was free. Um, so I had, you know, the heavy exercise fizz and all that kind of stuff as an undergrad, ended up getting a dietetics and nutrition master's degree, also heavy in the, you know, the chems and the, you know, the pathways and all that kind of stuff. And the entire time that I'm going through this whole kind of academic and professional, you know, journey, uh, I had always worked in the industry. I was personal training. I was selling supplements on the side, uh, out of you know, a local supplement store. I was kind of doing it and making a commission off of that. We're talking back before social media, you know, 15, 20 years ago, the old message board days. And um, I basically developed a reputation for being a very no bullshit source of information where here is the information. I can usually take the information and package it in such a way and deliver it in such a way that it can be applied by the person. Because, you know, knowledge without the ability to do anything with it is, is, is worthless, essentially. Um, and through that kind of developed a reputation for being this sort of person and made my a lot of my initial contacts in the sport. So guys like John Meadows and Ken Hill and Justin Harris and Shelby Starnes and all these, you know, prep coach and, and competitor type of big names. Um, through that ended up getting recommended for a, a very early sponsorship with a, a very, very large, you know, global powerhouse company. Uh, this was before affiliate reps on social media and discount codes and that whole thing. And, um, so I, you know, I worked the trade shows. I did the Arnold and I wrote for their website and, uh, again, message boards eventually, you know, that merged into kind of social media and that became the thing. And the entire time it was literally acquire this information, find a way to remove all sort of emotional bias from the discussion. 
And so one thing that's kind of always set us apart as a brand and as a direct reflection of myself is I'm very able to take away any sort of emotional response to something and do what I feel to be the, the truthful or the right thing. So everything that I've done, uh, not just professionally, but also in my personal life, I've always described it to people that I'm following a path and it's, it's my path. It's nobody else's path and everybody should find their path. And the biggest deterrent in people in finding the, the correct path that they're supposed to be on is truth. And it's not truth in the sense of telling the truth and being a truthful person. It's, it's doing, doing things that feel like they represent who you are at the core of your being. It's not lying to yourself. You know, I never wanted to be one of these people that ended up in a career or a relationship 10 or 20 years down the road and go, how the fuck did I get to this spot? It's because everybody is able to kind of mask little, little things for temporary convenience or temporary status quo or, you know, social stigma or, you know, that kind of stuff. I've never been able to do that. I've always been a straight shooter and I've always been on my own path. And for better or worse, it ended up leading into the way that I formed Morphogen and now, you know, almost a decade later, we're well known for doing things very, uh, very much in a non-traditional manner where a lot of things that we have done for years that everybody for, you know, for the longest time, all these industry people, well, that's not how it's done. Well, that's not how you should do it. That's not how it's done. And I go, I don't care because it didn't make sense to me and it didn't feel like it was a truthful part of me. And so I just didn't do it. And now after all these years of kind of staying on that course, here we are as a brand that's very well known for doing things a very specific way because we believe it to be the right reason. And the people that find value in that reason and have the same sort of logical mindset where they can connect with, you know, the reason that we do these things, they essentially don't have a choice but to align with what we're doing because it's part of their truthful path as well. And it's been a very cool kind of full circle journey where all of those years of, you know, am I supposed to be in fitness management? Am I supposed to be training people? Am I supposed to be, you know, I used to teach at the university and I love teaching. Am I supposed to do that? It's like, what am I actually supposed to be doing with the way that I compartmentalize this information and present it to people? And ultimately it led to this and it's the thing that I'm the best at out of all the things I've done. So, yeah, I'm going to piggyback off like a ton of those comments because through the story, there was a few things that at least were memorable and, and kind of, I can relate to first, you know, you're talking about the message boards, um, you know, that's kind of how I got my start too, at least initially into the industry was through bodybuilding.com forums and a few of the other ones just kind of sharing information. And I think on the flip side of what you were kind of focusing on more around like the nutrition and, you know, the bodybuilding side of it and all that, I was more interested on the business side. So it was a little bit earlier on that side, just because that was what my background was. I just so happened to be also interested in getting in shape more, you know, obviously college and all that. And I do remember a few times having like short conversations with you at the rec center. And a lot of the information you gave was like extremely high level, but extremely like, Hey, this is what I believe in and why you should be doing these types of things. I always appreciate that because I was like in that information collection mode of like, whoever was going to give me some great information. I was like, Ooh, let me eat this up as quick as possible because, you know, looking at, the size that I was and looking at the size, I was like, I'll take whatever advice Ben wants to give, <laughs> give because he's obviously done this. Um, and you were at the time, I think winning like collegiate um, titles and stuff at Kent yeah, State, I if, I, if I remember. I did in a ton of stuff. And I, I won the junior division at my first show at a pretty well-known uh, drug tested show, uh, ended up competing in a bunch of different stuff, earned a natural pro card back in 2010, ended up uh, helping run that organization and judging a bunch of shows for a number of years. So I, w I always kind of had uh, 
just enough street cred from a again that application side of things. It's like, yeah. am I am I the nerd guy with the information and the certifications and the teaching and all this, or, or can I actually fucking do what I am saying that I'm doing? And like, oh well, what good is all the information if he can't actually do any of it or if it doesn't show anything? So I I was narrow minded with what I was trying to accomplish. You know, I didn't know what what the grand picture was, but I was very narrow minded. Where it's like, I'm going to acquire this information. I'm going to live it and breathe it and become obsessed with it. And that's who I am. And anybody that doesn't align with that, like, can just get the fuck out of the way. And so back in the day, you know, nine out of 10 people that I would personal train or that I was teaching or all these things, they just couldn't connect with that. Um, I don't want to say they weren't ready for it, but it was it was too much. You know what I mean? It's like, if anything, I've been accused of being too much in many respects. Uh, and the people that, you know, the one out of 10 that that kind of get that sort of thing they're never going to stray from being a supportive person with what I'm doing because they're the way that their brain works aligns with the way that my brain works. And it just is a, is the way that it works. And it's been very cool the last few years, especially within the industry, at least within our little, you know, sliver of the pie uh, that's vastly growing is there are a lot more of those sorts of people that they want more answers. They want more uh, transparency. They want to know the, the why something is done, not just that it is done and we believe it to be good, but why did you do it? What is the decision-making behind this? I always said when we started the company that if anybody, anybody comes to me with any question about any single thing related to the brand, if there's one ingredient, one dose, one anything, I have to have a very, very sound answer for that. And even if only one person asks me about one thing, I have to know. And when you have evidence to back up the efficacy of ingredients and dosing and synergy, and then you have real world uh, application of that and then real world results coming from the usage of those products, both from you know my own results as well as all these people. It, it's great on paper. It's great in person. The science makes sense. The understanding of why I made that decision makes sense. At that point, it removes any uh, sort of any reason to doubt what is going on outside of any sort of emotional response which is not my game. The whole marketing world is largely based on some sort of emotional connection, some emotional response and listening to this out of people. And I, and that's totally cool. I mean, even some of how we do it, obviously is an emotional response where, as it ties into somebody's, uh, their psyche and the way that yeah. they think and how they, you know, how they interpret their own intelligence. But I never wanted to play that game. At least you, you mentioned around a few times, like the way you're supposed to do something, you, you know, there's this kind of industry standard. And that's in every industry. I mean, anywhere you go, there's like, oh, this is the way it's always been. And that's the answer. And, and I'll say that I was even, you might maybe you remember this, maybe you don't. Um, before I became a consultant, when I was just working at uh, Muscle Farm, I remember reaching out a few times and asking you, hey, do you want me to you know, kind of mention your name at Boise when I'm at vitamin.com or when I'm in New Jersey at vitamin shop and things like that? Because at the time, I didn't really... I guess understand and this was this is super early probably in the first couple of years that you started your brand and not understanding like what you were building more just like hey i'm trying to be helpful you know yeah, those types of things absolutely and you were always like hey you know i appreciate that i don't know if i'm ready you know those types of things and it wasn't until i became a consultant and understood just how not all the same pegs need to be fit into these these holes and, and like sometimes you need to make sure that you're aligning all these things together that I realized a lot of the advice or, or maybe just good intentions that I had before, you know, didn't fit uh, because I didn't understand the whole big picture. I was just kind of just trying to push as much on and try to help people along the best that I could. But yeah. now 
knowing what I know and, and knowing, you know, kind of what you were doing and now seeing it kind of full circle, you start to go, oh, you know, those would have been terrible ideas. <laughs> those have been terrible ideas to actually, you know, have somebody say yes to it. And, and kudos to you that you were, you know, <laughs> understood enough to be like, hey, we're not ready or hey, we're not that type of brand or whatever that reason was at the time that you gave me. But it just kind of speaks to you in, in terms of like understanding what you're building, even though uh, probably a lot of people didn't in the early days, like understand why you were going so slow and why you were bootstrapping it and why, you know, you could have been getting these yeses because, you know, you know, a lot of people in the industry that could have opened Absolutely. up doors for you or gotten you into certain places and, and been able to grow your brand bigger. But for you, it might not have been the right time because now what you were mentioning around the industry kind of evolving a little bit and having more of the, let's say like the educated people that understand or ask the questions, why are you formulating this way? Why are you looking at um, this product this way over, you know, competitor X, Y, Z, and all those things are starting to come full circle with transparency and just traceability and people actually to care a lot about that. Now what you've been doing since the start makes so, so much more sense because it's like, and, and not to say that you were, you, you knew this was all coming, but it, it just seems like now you're in that position to be like, you know, I'm cashing in on a lot of this equity that I've been building for the longest time that people didn't understand about. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, it, uh, and the thing is, is I, I don't know if I ever really even knew where we were going. I just knew what we weren't. I knew what I wasn't more than anything in those early years. I, truth be told, the, the reason that we started the company had nothing ever to do with monetizing it on any grand scale. <clears throat> I started the company for two primary reasons. One was because that former sponsorship that I had, had turned into something that I felt that it didn't represent me. It was, it felt very disingenuous. They had a lot of solid products and then they came out with one product that, uh, you know, eventually became arguably their, you know, best selling or most profitable item over a number of years. And they came out with this product and I said, I don't believe in this product because of these reasons. I cannot promote it for compensation, for a stipend, for these, you know, these perks of being in the industry and all this kind of stuff. I just, I, I cannot do it. It is painful to me to be disingenuous in any capacity. I cannot do it. So I realized that I had to, if I was going to do anything and align with anything that perfectly matched the way that I think about things, I had to create it, first of all. And the second thing was, I always knew that, at least at the time, fitness industry stuff is not super lucrative. We know this. Um, I never expected to ever make any money. I never expected to be the breadwinner in our family. My wife uh, is an accountant. Before she quit her job six months ago, she was a uh, relatively higher level accountant at a large you know, global bank. She knows what she's doing and she's, she's fucking dope at that. And the plan was always, well, she's always going to be this like figurehead of the, of the household. Can I supplement that? and be home and eventually provide childcare for our kids and not spend money on childcare, you know, cause I was like, you know, my old salary was nothing. If we had full-time childcare for two years, I was working to pay other people to watch my kids all day. Wouldn't it make sense if I was just home with a part-time job doing something online? And I had coached a lot of people. I did a lot of the online prep stuff back before it was like, you know, this huge thing and just got so burned out by it. And Again, you know, the emotional response to that is is so all over the place where having a, a good, a tangible good that I can present to people and say, here's the science, here's the label, you're going to use it, you're going to feel a certain way. There's 
there's no other thing besides that 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 presents itself. And I said, if you truly create something that stands that stands out, that stands alone, that uh, it is great in and of itself, then I don't have to be a salesman. I don't have to have this emotional connection with somebody to to convince them to do this. They will try it. They will like it. They will tell 10 people. Out of those 10 people, one person will believe in what they're doing. They will tell 10 people. And slowly it'll go through. And that's essentially what we've done, where now it's been uh, nine full calendar years, and we have effectively doubled every single year over the previous year, almost you know, almost flawlessly, uh, with no traditional marketing, no social media ads, no real analytics, uh, no Google stuff, no SEO, like none of it. All word of mouth, all organic growth, where now that we're in this position, and I always say every year, like, well, I'm, I'm okay with doing it when we need to do it, but we're not ready to do it. And then I think we need to do it. And then we go up, we spike again. And it just has continued to happen to the point that I haven't had to leverage those specific things that are very common in the business world. And when we need to leverage them, they will be a powerful tool to bring us up to an entirely new level, but we just haven't had the capacity to do it. You know, there, there is a such thing as growing too fast as burning out and companies, especially in the supplement world. I mean, how many brands have we seen over the last 15 years that have been out for a year and they made a, a huge push and they were present at everything and they had all these reps and social media and the Arnold and all this kind of shit. And then they're gone the next year because they have nothing, they have nothing to stand on. There's no platform to stand on. You can have this forced marketing push and people can buy into it for a minute, but if they don't truly believe in what you're doing and if you're not offering something truly exceptional, then it will disappear. And I always knew that a large majority of the industry is that sort of game. And some people strike it hot and some people completely fail. And I knew that I not only didn't want to be in that game, but even if I wanted to, again, the disingenuous aspect of it, I cannot be in that game. I said, what can I do that is so reflective of me and so by itself that I'm almost in like my own little lane that nobody can really bother me? And that's how we did things. And I mean, fuck me, it ended up growing to this, you know, so much larger level over, you know, these years that now it's like, I might actually be able to like change my life on this. And so here we are. Yeah, the, the industry as a whole is definitely the shooting star uh, mentality. You have a lot of people that garner a good amount of attention right off the bat, but they're only really just you know, transactional in the sense of how they're building that. So when it comes to you know, the, the community aspect, they're not, they don't have any of that kind of base level, foundation level to actually um, sustain any shock you know, in their kind of mo movement. So then you have just these brands just dying out extremely kind of fast. And to your point, like you, you built it kind of brick by brick that now it has such a strong foundation that now you just are reaping the benefits of this kind of kind of um, network effects of like the culmination of people just saying, hey, this is a great product, you guys should try it. And to your point around great products, a lot of times it's like, that's the retention piece, but you've had such a strong and, and I guess slow build but strong in terms of like the trialing that those people have been able to help you get more trialing because they they speak to their group and it's kind of the old school mentality now like people think about it with like social media influencers of like hey let me pay this person to tell their hundreds of thousands of followers or whatever but a lot of times they don't really have the best connections with their followers they're just people that you know are are numbers instead of actually you know building that community and, and whatever and, and i think that the way you've done it is kind of the the ideal bootstrapping way because you're not ever getting past your means where you're looking at um 
kind of cash and looking at inventory as like this devil that you're always trying to battle. I, I know you're probably at time from time to time you have some of that. And I think that's just natural in a, in a CPG brand because you have to actually buy physical inventory. But if you grow past a certain level, you're always like chasing something that you have this pressure on you that you have to give you know, X discounts or, you know, in the case of some of these bigger brands, they have their sales guys out there pushing like crazy in certain stores or whatever. And it dilutes their brand, it dilutes pricing, it dilutes all kinds of things just because they need to to avoid. Yeah. They need to get to that level of like chasing that cash. Like I need cash to buy more inventory. I need cash to, to do whatever. And I think to your point, like a lot of times people get too big for their britches. They want to grow way too fast. Um, and not to say you couldn't have grown faster. I'm sure you probably could have and sustained it. But I think that there is a, a, a something to say about like knowing your where you need to be wrangled in at and saying, hey, I don't need to put so much gasoline on this fire because if I do, I feel like it's going to get a little bit out of hand and it's going to get past the point where I can feel like it's still mine and, and, and whatever. And, and a lot of the the brand as a whole, at least from what you're saying and what I could see from from the outside is that it's a personification of you. It's it's what you believe in, and, and if it gets away from you, what do you have? You don't you don't have anything else. Yeah, I mean, you know, you hit the nail on the head with the dilution factor. Where people a number of years ago said, "Well, you know, why don't you just buy triple the inventory of everything, and then you have extra." And you can go to retail, and then you can do direct, and you can do the, all these things. You're leaving the money on the table, and I'm like, but then I. But then where do I get the money? An investor. And then I owe somebody money and then I have to answer to somebody and then I have to make business decisions based on this person. The other the other piece of that is these companies form to make a profit. That's what business is, right? And we knew that the money was going to come eventually. And every time that we got a little bigger, there was always temptation every single year to draw a salary from that. We didn't. I didn't take a, my first paycheck until our seven-year anniversary of the company. I literally ran the company part-time for two years and then full-time for five years by myself with zero employees, zero help with no salary. And every single year that we doubled over the previous year, it was real tempting to write myself a check, at least some sort of monthly thing. And like, you know, up until we bought this house a year ago, we lived in a very modest with all, with no storage of all our personal stuff. And we, we needed a bigger space just for our family. We had nothing. You know, even with the business, we had a very small warehouse space that was not an ideal situation. It was very overcrowded. It was, uh, it was, it was bad, but it allowed us to continue to do things the way that I always believed that they needed to be done. Again, to represent the brand, which is a direct representation of myself. And once we got to that point, that I realized that I was, uh, you know, kind of harming our growth by not relinquishing some of these things is only when I started to invest in some employees. And we were still very selective with the type of employee, the number. I mean, right now we have four full-time employees. We just brought three of them on full-time last week. They were very part-time and we had one full-time person. And two years ago, we had one part-time person just fulfilling orders. And that was literally it. And did it stifle our growth a little bit? I'm I'm sure it absolutely did. But we, like you said, we never got ahead of ourselves. We never, you know, overgassed the fire to the point that it blew up on our face. And, and the fact that we didn't have to draw a salary from the company all those years when we fucked up, cause we absolutely fucked up a number of times in the first, you know, five years, instead of going out of business, we just corrected our mistakes and coasted for a little bit and then kind of like restarted, you know, 
well, this, this was a huge mistake. I need to do it this way, but it's going to take 12 weeks to correct this mistake. Hopefully some of these people are still around in 12 weeks and still believe in what we're doing. They're going to go buy something else. And then hopefully some of them come back and then hopefully we, you know, get the ball rolling again. And that's exactly what we did a few times in those early years uh, where a lot of companies don't have the, the opportunity to do that because they have to be monetized right out of the gate, either because of investors or because they're drawing a salary to pay their bills. And I was very fortunate that I didn't have to do either of those. Yeah, I think that really helps being able to kind of stick to your core and stick to your values and, and actually be able to see that vision out the whole way through. Because I, I talk to, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, they've gotten into some of those problems where they get a little bit over leveraged in certain ways and they have to make compromises on some things that they came out from the gate and wanted to do. And, and part of me always understands because a lot of times, you know, you get down to like your back's against the wall, business continuity and needing to actually keep that door open sometimes makes you make interesting decisions because you have to do what you got to do. But I think the way that you put it together, it alleviated a lot of that stress that you had to do those things and building a brand, at least a, a long-term sustainable brand. Um, and you've been at this for much longer than what an average business stays around, especially in the industry. Um, you have to stay true to your vision, straight, stay true to yourself. And because I think it's such aligned with you, it's a lot easier than if you would have built this brand that's like um, totally built on some like um, interesting like branding element or some yeah. interesting yeah. creative you know thing that a lot of people kind of go after and, and they have to keep that brand going outside of themselves as well. Like this brand I'm sure has evolved with you as a person, as you've gotten more maybe interested in general health and wellness supplements or, or other things that were a little bit outside of maybe before when you were like, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in pre-workouts I'm interested in pro, you know, whatever those things were at the beginning yeah. because yeah. of the, you know, 20 somethings over 30, you know, 30 somethings, like you start yeah. to care about other things, but your brand can evolve now because it's, it's you and people understand it's, it's, you know, you and it's aligned with you. It might not be, you know, Ben Hartman's supplements, but it's, close enough that people go, oh, I get why he's moving into these things because we're evolving. We should be probably evolving with them as well. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because very early on it was sports performance. That was, that was it because I was competing and that's what it was. And I always said, oh, I'm never going to do official oil. I'm never going to do joint. I'm never going to do these sorts of things. Cause to me, they weren't like sexy, right? There wasn't a way to make them sexy. And then I realized as I was going that not only were my needs changing, but I was looking at our greater audience, our, our team, our family, our, our, you know, everybody that supported us, but ultimately all the decisions that I've, I've ever made has, have been the result of me thinking about myself as a customer or me and my family. So if I'm a customer to my own brand, <clears throat> what, what do I want to see? And what pisses me off, you know, if I get hit with $12 in shipping at checkout, it pisses me off. So I made all the shipping free, poof, done. And everybody goes, well, you know, you're, you're leaving all this money on the table. I said, yeah, but the value to the consumer is greater. And maybe that's one of several things that entices them to not only come to the brand, but stick with the brand. And they go, well, yeah, but now you're growing and so big, you should take that away in pocket. But if I take, takes away part of the charm of why we started the company from day one. And it, again, it was not to monetize. It was to create something that if I were a consumer of my own brand, I would value it. And then I started to look at my family and I looked at, you know, you mentioned organ health. We have a product called Morpho Prime, which is a huge seller. It's like, you know, probably number three for us. 
And we developed that a few years ago before that was a really hot sort of thing. I think back three, four years ago when we developed it, there may have been one or two brands that were selling like a powdered organ health and teeny little scoop. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And I go, let's make like a six capsule, like fully loaded sort of thing. That's not, you know, it's not some pixie dusted Hawthorne berry and some pixie dusted, you know, whatever. And we're going to make this fucking dope. And I'm going to make it for my dad because we have a family history of high glycerides, heart disease. And I'm trying to get my dad to take all this shit. And he's just like, overwhelmed. and I go, I'm going to make it so that he only has to take one product and be done. And I hope that other people find value in it the same way that I find value in it, the same way that he now finds value in it. And people overwhelmingly did. And so then I started to look at already existing product categories and saying, how can I do this that makes sense to me in, an, in sort of a, an idealistic way? Again, because we're not going to retail, I'm not limited by a specific ceiling of manufacturing costs because we know how the game works. Make a product for five bucks, distributor for 10, retailer for 20, you know, customer for 40. I said, well, what if I make a product that costs 20 bucks to make? It's now that much greater than a $5 product and I can sell it to you for the same cost, but I'm not going to sell a hundred thousand units or, you know, where people are making five bucks or, you know, 10 bucks a pop, but I can make something that stands on its own and the margin comes back to me. And then I can take that margin and reinvest it not only in larger numbers of that product and, and hit more people, but I can turn that into the next skew and the next skew and the next skew. And that's why not just in the magnitude of, of how many, you know, units of each respective product we're selling, but we've been in, you know, we went from one skew to two to five to 10 to 20, you know, by the end of this, within the next three months, we're going to have over 75 SKUs. One year ago, we had 30. And a year before that, we had 20. And a year before that, we had 12. And a year before that, we, I don't know, had eight or something. And it's its making those decisions based on my evolution and the evolution of our customer base and what I see a need. And, and I look at it kind of as a challenge almost, like a, a bit of a challenge and almost a responsibility that I'm in a position that I can create something to fulfill a need for somebody without cheapening the product because of the way the game typically works. So I feel like it's a responsibility of mine to create that and give that product to the community so that they can benefit from it. And people go, well, you know, that product is so stacked, you should sell it for 60 bucks. And I said, no, I'm going to sell it for what I'm selling it for. And they go, yeah, but you're leaving 10 bucks on the table. You know, if you sell a thousand bottles, you're losing $10,000. I said, okay, that's true. But next year I'm going to sell 1500 and the next year I'm going to sell 3000 and the next year I'm going to sell more than that without fucking up the integrity of the reason that we've done this since day one. And that's kind of always been the way that we played our game is let's reach more people without perspective thing, because the scope of the company as a whole means much more than every minute decision along the way. You know, we have some products that are essentially lost leaders and they, but they fit into the brand. And so when we create new products, it's does this product stand on its own in its respective product category as a leader in the industry? If the answer is yes, and does this product reflect the brand as a whole, then that product is a go. And we create it even if we don't know if we can sell it. And it just so happens that not only do we sell it, but every time we come out with a new product, we sell more of it than the previous product because people are, are waking up and they're thinking logically and they're thinking more big picture and long-term. And those are the same ways that I've always thought about it. And it's just, it's just happening.
And I never expected it to happen. And I think it's fucking rad. <laughs> no, I, I think that's, that's awesome. I mean, when you can create something that, you know, as a, as a passion or personal type of a thing, and, and I'm going to ask you kind of a question off of that, because thinking about all these new categories and all these new products, like you talked about you know, one, your dad, and then yourself, like, do you pull inspiration just from all that kind of personal stuff? Like, I know me, when I go into like a grocery store, I'll walk an aisle and maybe we don't do that now because it's COVID because we get stuff delivered to us. But, you know, yeah. old days, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you go through the things, I would always look at just something totally off the wall and I would go, huh, could that apply to here? And if I kind of make these things have sex together and, and create this new thing, would somebody like that? Um, and that's how I always pull inspiration from the weirdest things that just like, I'll just be out like for a walk and I'll see some weird mural on a wall and I'll be like that color or that something goes together into like a branding inspiration or whatever that is. Uh, do you kind of approach that the same way or is it more like internalized like, hey, this is something I need or is this something like close it's, friends um, need? So initially it was very much me. What do I need? And if somebody doesn't like the product, then it doesn't matter because it, it, it's what I want. I want a fully dosed product that doesn't require multiple servings or added other ingredients. And I want it to have a, a specific value. And I want the checkout process and the buying process to be a certain way. And that is the foundation of the way that we've done everything, everything. But as I've moved along, the way that I think about things in general is very not bullet point specific of, you know, this specific ingredient industry trend. I'm aware of those things. It would be irresponsible of me not to be aware of them. But I think very uh, conceptually, very big picture sort of thing. So I, it's very much like how you say where, you know, I see things like, could these things have sex and create something that people find value in? Uh, I I absolutely do that. And it's in a sort of a, an engineering sort of sense and a problem solving sense where, I look at it and I have to, you know, I get an idea of, it's like, oh my God, what if we made a product like this? And then I have to go, wait a second, how is it actually going to be used? Well, if it's going to be used this way, are any people actually going to make this drink or are they going to make it in a pill? Or if we make it in a pill, can we make it an, an amazing formula with the right serving sizes? And is there any overlapping, you know, utility or ingredients or any of this kind of stuff? And I'm thinking about all these things kind of all at the same time. And as I've gotten, you know, older and wiser and figured out the company a little bit more, I'm much better at doing that. Uh, both efficiently and, and quickly and, and, and uh, without as much error as I was, you know, there's a lot of trial and, trial and error early on where now I can kind of just flow with it, you know, sort of the, the, get into a flow state and come up with something that almost first try, almost every time it fits exactly what we needed as a brand, as what I needed, as what all these people needed. And it, and the price comes out okay. And we were able to flavor it or cap it or whatever we're going to do. And it just, works and we have some some more dope shit coming here in the next you know one to three months uh pending covid and all this all these fucking supply chain delays and then i have some ideas going into next year that are completely different than anything we've done so far that are very much well people are using this thing like this and they're using these things like this but has anybody ever done it this way and then done it this way instead and and i have some of these things and uh the ball is kind of rolling and I'm very hesitant to even discuss some of it because I, one of them I think is a pretty novel concept that the few people that I've discussed it with, they're like, you might have something that nobody's done. I'm like, well, I better keep my mouth shut because <laughs> I, 
the last thing I need, you know, and I, I talk a lot anyways, the last thing I need to do is, is spill those beans and then have somebody beat me to the punch and, you know, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Before I let you go, I got one question just because I think um, this is, this has been an evolution in the industry. I think over the last year and, and going into next year, I think, you know, it has some more traction to it, but you know, there's not a, what you would consider like a luxury um, positioning in the supplement industry. I think premium is kind of that, that yeah. top level, but I think your brand is probably as close as, as it gets. Um, do you think there will ever be, you know, like a continuation of, of kind of this premiumization luxury type of a category and does it sustain brands? Like, do you think eventually somebody actually is, is going to build like a, a pretty significant brand at that high level? Or do you think it's always like, you know, people are going to try to choose and, and be drunk off of like low price? So look at, look at the car industry, the automotive industry, right? There are million dollar cars. There are, you know, Lamborghinis that cost a couple hundred thousand dollars. I don't know how their business model works, but I know that they don't advertise in commercials. And I know that they're still in business after all these years, which means they have to be turning some sort of profit. And they have a very, 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 very small, selective, specific group of people purchasing their goods. So there is a demand for it. But it's not the same demand as 80% of the population who are buying, you know, family sedans. And, you know, we have, uh, you know, we have our family vehicles, uh, you know, we have our Subaru, <laughs> just like every other family does, you know, that costs 25 grand or whatever it is. Uh, and that's always going to be predominantly what exists. There will always be ultra budget brands that I don't align with, but they exist. And then there will always be premium and then the tippy top, you know, of this like, ridiculous we'll just call it ridiculous do i think there's an, a market for that absolutely interested in absolutely but i'm not willing to uh divert my attention away from you know this premium sort of legacy that we're building to do that if for some reason everybody you know in let's say in the next three to five years if somebody came in and bought morphogen from us which i'm not even sure i would ever even do that but let's say hypothetically that happens and now money is no, no thing what would i do I'd sign a non-compete for a year or two and I'd come back and I would create that. That's I've already been thinking about that for years, just as a pipe dream. Like what would I do if the money didn't, wasn't a thing anymore? I would absolutely create that. And I would not only create it in, a, in such a way that it alienates an even greater percentage of the, of the market, <laughs> but in such a way that it rocks the boat in the type of product, the way that they're developed, the way that they're presented to the population, the, the over-the-top transparency, the over-the-top uh, levels of of uh, things that are given to the consumer as a result of the process of purchasing that good. I, I have a number of these ideas. It's nothing that I want to explore at the moment, but if I ever get to that point, then that's just a higher, you know, further extension of myself. Not to say that I'm, you know, ultra premium. That's not what I'm saying. But you know what I mean? The way that I think about things is kind of this, like, there is no limit, you know? my human existence has no limit. If it does, then why do, why do you try to do anything? Why do any human beings try to, try to do anything? Conquer. Why do you try to scale the biggest mountain? Why do you try to do anything? But as you go up that mountain, further people can make it up the mountain. And then when you get to the top, you might be the only one. So yeah, that's not something I'm looking forward to doing anytime soon, but it's certainly something that I, I entertain. But if somebody does it and they don't need to monetize it, are they going to sell eventually? Somebody's going to buy it eventually. And then over 10 years, enough people are going to buy them that that one person is going to be literally in their own industry. And they're going to have no competition. 
but they're also going to have like one out of a billion, you know, customers. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, on that note, I'm going to let you go, Ben. I appreciated the conversation. Appreciated you sharing some of your knowledge um, with my community. If people want to follow you or follow the brand, how do they do that? Morphogen Ben. Uh, we have the Morphogen Nutrition Instagram account. It's Morphogen underscore Nutrition. Um, our website is mntakeover.com. So we always say join the takeover at mntakeover.com. Usually some way around there, somebody can contact us. We have our our phone number. We have a submission uh, section on the website. You can ask product questions. You can send me. I get hundreds of DMs a day hmm. with all manner of stuff. I answer every single one. I will answer every single question. It's it's starting to get to the point that, you know, basic questions about like, you know, where's my order or, you know, how, do, how does this taste? Those sorts of questions are, you know, getting diverted to support staff, but more intricate questions, I'm always going to answer them. Always. It's time to create the uh, Ben chatbot. <laughs> He'd probably be an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, thank you. Appreciate the time. Yeah. Hell yeah.